Well, in these weeks, we're spending some time in the 107th Psalm. And the title of our series is a quote from the psalm, Let the Redeemed of the Lord Say So. And and it's really an invitation to us as God's people to remember and to give thanks for the ways in which we have experienced God's deliverance throughout our lives. And not just that ultimate sense of deliverance that we often talk about and sing about, that that sort of once-for-all saving act of Jesus Christ, but the kinds of deliverance that God grants us regularly because God is simply with us. And the 107th Psalm gives us these four wonderful metaphors of what redemption, that freedom, that deliverance from slavery feels like. What is that experience? The other thing that the 107th Psalm does, I've been realizing as I've been studying it and looking at it is that for those who have ears to hear it and eyes to see it, the 107th Psalm is almost like a little short course in Old Testament theology. Four major themes in Old Testament theology that have to do with our release and God's rescue are all celebrated in this psalm, put together in this marvelous kind of liturgical symmetry. And so Today, the theme we're looking at is in verses 4 through 9, and it's really the theme of wilderness. And we can't hear that word wilderness without thinking of a lot of different Bible stories. So let me read the opening of the psalm, verses 1 through 3, and then also just verses 4 through 9 today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those whom he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and God delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. Let's pray. Lord, perhaps we have entered this room in a state of dryness today, in a state of isolation, of feeling our separation from you and from one another. Remind us of your presence with us and so help our own versions of wilderness to bloom and to know that you are with us and inviting us into that verdant, abundant place that's filled with flowing streams. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I probably told you before that I grew up in Southern California and in the San Bernardino Valley specifically. That valley is an interesting place because it has a, a pretty incredible natural aquifer underneath it. And it's one of the reasons why it was able in such a dry and, and arid place, why it was able to sustain orange groves in abundance in Southern California. The home we moved into in the late 50s had two orange trees in the backyard because it was once an orange grove uh, or sat in an orange grove. And this aquifer made it actually a verdant place 
with some pumps, <laughs> you could turn the dry land into a, a place of springs, so to speak. But just to the north of the San Bernardino Mountains, which defined the valley, obviously, is the Mojave Desert. Mojave Desert uh, stretches out quite a ways in Southern California. It's pretty much everywhere. And so when you go into the, the Mojave Desert, you go into a, a place that doesn't have much water, obviously, and is a very different place than, than that place where it can be pumped up and can support agriculture. The desert was close to us, and so it was a place that, that we went often. It was kind of a core symbol in our family. I think I've also told you before, my father was an accountant. He had a small accounting practice, uh, lots of small businesses as clients. And uh, the desert was someplace that he would go once a month because he had several clients who were in these Mojave Desert towns of Trona and Ridgecrest and places like that. And he was sort of the accountant to the desert in some ways. Um, his name got around. And my father hated accounting. Uh, he, um, he told me at one point, uh, and this was when I was an adult, that he told me this, that he would come into my room at night and lean over my crib and say, don't become an accountant. <laughs> kind of prayer in some ways. But once a month, he would go to the desert. And there, almost like an itinerant preacher, would visit all of these businesses and collect their books and give them the books of the previous month that he had, had finished. But he made these trips to Ridgecrest and Tona with a kind of religious zeal and regularity, almost as if it was a pilgrimage, because he loved the desert so much. It was a place of transformation for him. It was a place where he got to enjoy part of what it meant to be an accountant. It was a place where his brand of sort of subdued extroversion could engage itself, and he would relate to these clients of his. He would kind of come alive and the desert became for him a place of freedom and a place of discovery, a place where he lived into a part of himself that he didn't normally experience. The desert was also a core symbol in my life when I was in the Boy Scouts because we were so close to the desert, our troop engaged in what was called the Camelback Award. It meant you carried a lot of heavy water on 15-mile hikes in the nearby Mojave Desert over a weekend. And, you know, in seventh grade, those were not something that I really appreciated all that much. Um, the desert, for me, I would have to say, was not a place of uh, liberty, as it was for my father. It was not a place of discovery so much, so much as it was a a kind of dreaded outing with the Boy Scouts, with our frustrated drill sergeant adult leaders. And I remember these four 15-mile hikes in the Mojave Desert. The desert was, for me, in this case, a place from which I wanted to be delivered. <laughs> and if you want to know the Old Testament, let me just say, if you want to know how to read it, you need to know about these two aspects of the desert. 
because they're both there. The desert as a place of discovery and the desert as a place from which you want to be delivered. The word that gets used more often than not for desert is wilderness, midbar in Hebrew. It's a place in the Old Testament where a lot of important things take place. And so also in the New Testament, the theme is picked up there as well. But there are stories of deliverance and there are stories of discovery and they all take place in the desert. Literally, it means the uninhabited place or the desolate place. It can mean the dry place, the desert. It can also be a pasture land. But it's kind of the place where there's no there there, if you know what I mean. It's an empty place, an uninhabited place. It's an expanse of nothingness. And so we have probably the most important story of the desert and the story of the exodus from Egypt, the wilderness wandering of the people for 40 years before they entered the promised land. And in that case, it's a place of kind of aimless wandering. It's a place where the the people also, however, encounter God. It's a place that you want out of, but it's also a place that you have fond memories of Because once delivered, you look back on it and realize that something happened there that would not have otherwise happened had you not been in the desert. And that theme carries over into the New Testament. Obviously, we have the story after Jesus' baptism where he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to pray. It is that place of kind of working through what gets pronounced at his baptism, that he is the beloved son of God. He is tempted by the devil who at every uh, point questions that very identity and asks Jesus to work with if that's who he really thinks he is. But they're cut loose from every bit of civilization and thirsty and hungry. The wilderness is both a place from which he needed to be delivered and also a place of discovery. The same is true with John the Baptist. The wilderness is the place where he goes to preach. It's the place that's at the core of his ministry. It's the place in the wilderness of just beyond the Jordan where he invites people to come back out and to think about that period in their history as a people where before they entered the promised land, how they were dependent upon God. It's a place where he called them to repentance. The wilderness is an important place in scripture. It's a dangerous place and it's a place of redemption. But what could be said of the wilderness is that there's no better way to be tuned into the offer of living water than to be thirsty. And in the wilderness, we discover our thirst, but in the wilderness, we also hear the voice of the one who wants to guide us to living water. It's a place from which we want to be delivered. It's a place of discovery. And Psalm 107, 4 through 9, is a great depiction of this very truth. It celebrates this movement, this deliverance from the desert. And it it gives us two other metaphors to play with that are sort of the the means of, of deliverance, if you will. 
two very important aspects of redemption in these two metaphors, the road or the way, the path, and the city, the inhabited place. The psalm says that hungry and thirsty, their hearts failed and they found no way to an inhabited town. They were alone. They were in an isolated, desolate space and they needed a way out, a way into that place of community. And God heard their cry. And what did God do? God led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. It's a lot of what the whole Old Testament saga is about. That movement out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, but through the wilderness in order to get there. And then in Isaiah 40, we have those lines that Handel used in his Messiah. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord is what Isaiah says. And what Isaiah 40 talks about is the way in which God is coming to his people in the wilderness and building a road to them on which they will walk out of the wilderness. God is bringing them in Isaiah 40 out of their exile in Babylon. The promise of the prophet is God is coming to you to deliver you. God is coming to lead you into that inhabited city, into the place, the community for which you were created. To be redeemed, therefore, can be expressed very, very beautifully in this notion of being encountered by God in the wilderness and to be, as Psalm 63 says, to be delivered from the dry and weary place and into the place where our souls are satisfied with a rich feast. But here's the thing. The wilderness from which we are delivered is also the place of discovery the place of encounter with God. Redemption isn't just about getting out of that place. It's the realization that God is with us even in that place from which we want to be delivered. If I may, let me go back to the Boy Scouts for a minute. One particular of those hikes in the desert, this was when one was in Joshua Tree. I think I was on my way out of the Boy Scouts almost as soon as I went into the Boy Scouts. Uh, I, I'd love to tell you about my Eagle Scout ceremony, but I didn't make it past first class. Uh, because there was just this kind of misery for me in it. And I was who I was and, and am who I am. But there was one hike in particular in Joshua Tree where we'd gotten to the place where we were camping. And on all of these hikes were just Saturday and Sunday. You know, you'd set out on Saturday, you'd go half of the 15 miles to your campground and camp, and then you'd go half of the 15 miles uh, back to where we had left our cars. So we were at our campground, we were bedded down for the evening and I could not sleep, and it seemed like everyone else was sleeping but me. So at one point, I, I got up 
out of that tent, that claustrophobic tent <laughs> with my tent partner and feeling very lonely, feeling very sorry for myself. Everyone else was asleep. There, I think there is no more lonely feeling than being in a campsite filled with people who are all sleeping and you being the only one, or it seems, who's awake. And I got out of the tent just because I couldn't be in it any longer. And there in Joshua Tree, didn't even really have to look up, but looked up and thought, oh my goodness, I have never seen what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> Away from the light pollution of the city, the desert is one of the most beautiful places at night that you can be because it is just rich on a clear day. There are clear days, uh, by the way, and I knew that when I lived in Southern California, uh, but there are clear days and clear nights, and when you're in the desert at night, you see stars like you cannot believe. And there in that lonely wilderness, what I would not have seen but for being there and but for sleeplessness came into view and suddenly I saw a world that was much bigger than the world of my loneliness and the world of my sleeplessness. Psalm 107, especially in these verses about wilderness, invites us to have a similar kind of experience with God and then to tell one another about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's an invitation to us to ruminate on how our wildernesses have turned into places of springs and to give thanks to God for what God has done. It isn't just once that this deliverance happens either. Because in an ongoing relationship with God, there are ongoing experiences of this kind of redemption. It just keeps happening in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And so the invitation of the psalm is very clear. Stay awake to it. Notice it. Remember it. Celebrate it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I heard someone say once that the Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city. If you read Genesis, that's where the man and the woman whom God creates are placed. If you read Revelation, it speaks of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God and a voice declaring, behold, the dwelling place of God is with human beings. And in between the garden and the city in the Bible are a heck of a lot of experiences of wilderness. More than you can begin to count. In between these two places, there are lots of stories about wilderness wandering. But the Bible, I want to say, is not primarily about a journey in a linear sense from garden to city through the wilderness. It's primarily about the God who is with us in all of those places. The God who's walking in the cool of the day in the garden who encounters the man and the woman in Genesis is the God whose dwelling place is with his creatures in the new Jerusalem in Revelation. 
And the presence of this God also turns our wildernesses into places of springs. And so to quote the psalmist one more time, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those whom he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Let's pray. Satisfy us this and every morning, O God, with your steadfast love, and we will live these days in thanks and praise. Lead us to those springs of living water and help us, even in our thirst, to understand what it means to live in the peace of your presence. For all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.